I'm Kate Parker. This is Warming Signs, a podcast with the sound minds of science. Sometimes laughter really can be the best medicine. And that's what today's episode is all about. How humor can and should be a part of the climate solution. I felt that this topic was not only perfect as an escape from the heaviness of this moment in history that we're living through, but also as a temporary farewell. We end each episode asking guests what gives them hope. And for me, right now, that is our future generation. Warming Signs will be taking a pause in production so that my husband and I can welcome our first child. And we are full of hope that they will grow up in a better world than we are in today. So on that happy note, how about a little laughter? That's the aim of Inside the Greenhouse at the University of Colorado. Next is my conversation with professors Beth Osnes and Maxwell Boykoff. They take their comedic climate show on the road and published research showing that when communicating climate, gloom and doom isn't always the answer. Beth, Max, thank you so much for taking a little time uh, to maybe add some levity to the general conversation. I mean, in the moment of this heaviness of this global pandemic, the heaviness of the topic of climate change, you guys focus more on humor. Why is that? Why comedy? Well, thanks so much for having us on the show. Um, I can just start by saying that, you know, when we started off on this exploration into comedy, probably around 2012. We started off on it about eight years ago. We were very keenly aware of the fact that it could run the risk of trivializing what is a critically important set of intersecting challenges. And so nonetheless, we started to delve into it as a way for us to open up kind of our emotional registers. There's lots of uh, well-worn scientific ways of knowing about a changing climate, which are critically important, there's also a host of other ways of knowing, like aesthetic ways of knowing through the arts, visceral ways of knowing through entertainment, media, and so forth, experiential ways of knowing. We were trying to draw on emotional ways of knowing. And we found that humor is generally underutilized, but it has this power to connect up people, to connect up information, ideas, new ways of thinking. And it can help bring to the fore these, these multiple ways of knowing and really what our contradictions that we live by, maybe what is incongruous, hypocritical, false, or pretentious. And so we started this in 2012, and then we started to do live shows about five years ago that were then paired with an international video competition. But I got to say that, you know, I am out of environmental studies and, and the sciences, and I was introduced to this through Beth, because Beth has a much deeper history into this. I don't know if Beth, you want to add to and deepen what I'm Sure. So I'm a theater professor who also um, teaches some through our environmental studies program here at CU. And I was really excited to, to work with Max on this project over the years because it really starts to introduce how we can find some of the, you know, like use play, use some of the cracks and some of the fissures into these bedrocks of ways that we've approached things, ways that we've understood things. And it starts to wiggle in and create these openings that we can start to, you know, maybe a little bit of light can crack through those spaces. And we can start to see that if we keep using the same approaches, we might just keep getting the same results. And we have a long history of using comedy as a way to propose preposterous, ridiculous 
propositions, ridiculous things like that maybe women should have the vote. And then we could start to see through representation or maybe that peaceful resistance could could end a war. You know, the Greek play Lysistrata does this. And we can see now that that's not such a ridiculous idea. That's actually a great way to approach. So we can use comedy and we can, you know, and people think of comedy as being about something ridiculous, but that's just not true anymore. You know, when we look today, the young people that we work with and even our whole culture, we're really looking to comics today for a lot of our, the moral authorities. You know, like you think of the late night comedy shows, many young people and many adults within our own culture are getting their daily news from these comics. People like John Oliver are doing pretty competent, you know, really good investigative journalism into these issues that they that they wiggle into using comedy to draw attention to these issues that otherwise people are just kind of eh, getting a little lazy fair about, but they're able to draw attention to them and just, you know, people want to be entertained. People want to be, people want to laugh. They want to feel good. They want to have fun. And if we can be doing that at the same time that we're drawing attention to important vital issues, that's a great thing. And also if we can start to have people associate the topic of climate change, which is so full of gloom and doom and shame and guilt. If we can have people having experiences, thinking and talking about climate change that are fun, I think we've gone a long way in helping people reposition where that issue even lives in their lives. Like they might be more ready to talk about it, to think about it, to integrate it into their lives if they have these positive associations with climate change. You know, I love the point that, you know, John Oliver and some of these other, you know, kind of talk show hosts, I agree, like they, they are able to bring comedy to these topics. And I'm personally very sarcastic, naturally, which gets me in trouble sometimes. <laughs> um, and it, it does, you know, um, come up a lot in some of the storytelling that I do personally, I, I can't help but keep some of the sarcasm out. And I do think that the picture that so many people have, you know, rightfully or wrongfully, is the image of Greta Thunberg and her very stern face, you Mm -hmm. know, saying, how dare you? So you see that image. Can you paint me a picture of what a climate comedy show looks like by contrast? I mean, I could just start by saying that uh, comedy is never easy. I've definitely, that's one of the many things that I've learned from Beth and from this experience. But yet comedy, like we're uh, after, which also carries certain messaging, is even harder. Um, one of the ways that we've done that is we've 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 partnered with Project Drawdown, which is um, yeah. a project led by one of your previous guests, John Foley. Um, we've been partnering principally with uh, Catherine Wilkinson through that project. To then She's a two-timer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. So she, um, so we've been through the work, we've been getting the performers to not just make people laugh, but then also to point towards climate solutions or ways that we can engage in a changing climate. And so, yes, we, um, these can be sites of distraction. They can be some sites of relief. It can be some tools for coping. Uh, but we also need to use them in a socially productive way. Yeah. And so the social function of, of humor and comedy then get opened up. And we've not, we're not just 
really uh, speculating on this. There's a there's an emergent community of scholarship that um, is looking into how comedy can lower defenses and can actually work to meet people where they are, to find common ground, to open up these conversations through laughter and through shared experience. And so to paint that picture for you, one of the ways in which we've really been pressing on it, Beth has coined this, I think, beautiful turn of phrase, which is good-natured comedy. So there's lots of different flavors of comedy, but uh, like satire is very dominant. But this good-natured comedy is one where we understand that we're in this together, that we're living through these contradictions together. So how can we navigate these challenges in a way that we can actually find some funny as we go? I think one of the things, too, is that when we, you know, satire is one form of comedy that is employed by a lot of our late night television shows, a lot of stand up comedy, and it always has a target to it. Satire always has a, a, a someone who's paying the price for the joke, someone who's being humiliated or, you know, being shamed or their hypocrisy is being exposed or their bad behavior. And when we get people in a place where they feel ashamed, and when they feel afraid, they make some of the worst choices they'll ever make. So why would we want to use a tool towards getting people that were already worried about the choices that they're making politically to be ashamed and afraid? You know, it's it's just like you want to use the the logic, you know, like have do things that are going to actually bring about positive social change that we're all after. So by using good-natured comedy, we really find that not only the audience members start to feel these kind of this kind of um, connection through comedy, through this shared humanity, but we also find that the people who are making the comedy, the students who are participating in the production, the creative production of good-natured comedy, that they start to get these co-benefits, which is that they can process negative emotions, they can get hope, a feeling of hope. With, you know, without this belief that your actions are going to make a difference, it doesn't even make sense to act. And then we also feel like it helps, they've, you know, through our research with our students, we've learned that it helps sustain their climate action. It helps them stay with the cause, stay with the, um, the charge to make a positive difference because there's a lot of burnout associated with it. And there's a lot of emotional just battering that occurs when you get that knowledgeable about what's happening to the earth and the ecosystems upon which we rely for life. You know, there's a lot of grief for young people, especially who have their decades of a future ahead of them, who are looking at a really difficult prognosis. And, you know, so this is a, a method that by getting folks into this type of communication, they're getting hope, they're getting joy, they're getting the sustaining energy and connections to stay with it. I have to ask, who has a, a, a is that a cat or a parrot? I'm, I have to let her out right now. I'm oh, no, it's okay. It was just a fun <laughs> little interruption. <laughs> I know. He's, he's getting whinier as he gets older. It, you know, I think that my pets are just so thrilled to have me home all the time. They now have me more better trained to do it for everything. It's like I'm at their beck and call at all times. So you're loving this. Now, you mentioned your research. Your research, what did that entail and what did it tell you about the way that people reacted and, and the effect that a more humorous approach to climate change had? Max, do you want to take that first? Sure. I mean, <clears throat> basically, we had taken advantage of the fact that we were conducting these live performances 
And we started to then uh, go through researching how they were received, not just how they were received by the audience. We did audience member surveys, but then also the participants themselves. Many of them were our own students in, at the University of Colorado, where we both teach, and understand how it helped them change their thinking and change their perspective. And so we did this through um, also through surveying the participants, but then also through analysis of content uh, of the performances themselves to better understand then what kind of an effect this was having. And I suppose the, the short version of it is that we actually found that this overwhelmingly was enhancing awareness enhancing the ways in which people felt like, excuse me, felt like they could do something about it and helped them, I think most importantly, engage more effectively in problem solving. And so they, uh, the reports back through this research, it found that this is an effective way to lower defenses and to uh, foster these very important, crucial conversations. There's this book that was written by Lucy Neal, a year or two ago, that's called Playing for Time, Making Art as if the World Mattered. And she makes a compelling argument for play as a way of approaching the kind of paradigm shifting that needs to occur. There's a lot that happens within comedy that's placed in play, especially uh, improv comedy, which you always kind of go to when you're engaging people in creating new work, especially with the sketch comedy you're really engaging in these kind of improvised improv techniques. And one of the core techniques that anybody would know if they've done any improv is yes. And so if Max said, my goodness, I hope that sleeping hippo, 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 you know, hippo in the side over there in the corner doesn't wake up. And then I would say, yes. And we should be tiptoeing just in case, you know, like there's this kind of acceptance of whatever, and then building upon that. And it's this way of kind of like, otherworlding, imagining another world that just might be possible. And it's just really cost-effective, good practice to use the arts, to use especially the performing arts, because they most resemble life, living life, and to use them to rehearse, take these new realities for a test drive before purchasing them. Because you can start to identify likely obstacles, likely problems, or you can just like, you know, get a feel for what would be the likely costs and benefits of these new world orders, these new behaviors, these new configurations. So this place of play becomes a really dynamic place to imagine different ways of approaching it. Like some of our our students are so clever with it. We had one student who embodied, like embodiment is a big part of this too, because comedy so resides in the body, it's foibles, it's it's disappointments, you know, like when we fart, you know, like these noises, these protrusions, these things betray our dignity and our, like, I am a, you know, like this competent human and our bodies will tell another story that we're fallible, that we're, you know, we're just human. We're just animals. And this one student, Daniel, did this great piece about being a tree named Timber. And he's dressed as a tree, this very elaborate costume with the leafy fingers and everything. It was a beautiful costume. And he, he has his little house plants at the foot of the stage. And he starts out by saying, I'm so sorry. I just, I couldn't find a sitter. And then he goes on and on and he talks about this irony of like, and he, he goes on to say all the reasons why you shouldn't cut him down as a tree. 
And he has these reasons that are all like, and then the last one, he's like, going, oh, I just can't remember. What was that last reason again? And he goes, oh, yeah, so you can breathe. <laughs> and it's just the way that he constructed it. It was so funny because he he just like, he exposed the ridiculous obviousness of why you wouldn't devastate your world's forests. You know, like, like it's just so obvious, but it takes that kind of exposing this this truth that we all know and recognize as being nobody's, you know, just, you know, like challenging the science behind the need for trees for, you know, our, our ecosystems. So I think comedy can really expose the obvious and remind us of these fundamental truths that we should be navigating by. So how do we apply this though? You know, if you are not naturally, you don't find yourself naturally funny or, or quick-witted, um, perhaps you have other strengths. How do you how do you implement this in your everyday life when communicating with friends or family or anyone really? I have an answer. Max, do you go for it first, and then I have something to share too. Yeah, maybe you. I'll maybe I'll just start by saying that um, we have a ton of content that we just put together last month. A show for Earth Day about uh, comedy and climate change. And so maybe if somebody doesn't feel like they've got it in themselves, but they watch the show and they think that it, there's some really funny parts, they could share those uh, with their family and friends. Uh, so that's a first pathway forward. I would also say that um, supporting your local comedian is very important nowadays uh, as this global pandemic plays itself out, that the entertainment community is suffering greatly uh, because of all the losses of people being able to gather and engage in culture. And so if one doesn't feel like they can do it themselves, supporting the kind of efforts through entertainment and the arts that that are doing this kind of work is is also really important. You want to say something though, Beth? I do. I, th- I think that this these kind of these these precepts of going towards allowing a little bit of comedy in is allowing a little bit of levity into your your own perspective, your own approach to taking on environmental issues, to letting them into your life. Because if they don't feel positive, if they don't feel a little bit light and a source of joy, you're not going to want to welcome them into your life. And I think that by just even, you know, just even taking some, like, it's about risks. You know, we're going to have to change our systems in order to address the climate challenge and crisis that we face. So if you start to introduce these risks in our language, in our, our bodily expression, our expressive range, expanding our expressive range, comedy is a great way of doing that in our daily conversations, in our dealings with our, in our reading a book to our child, just letting yourself get more expressive. And I think that when comedy is used with kindness, it can do some pretty, like kindness is a device that we can do some more gentle truth-telling of things that need to be said, truths that need to be addressed. And I think you can also point out and make unlikely connections through comedy that, that cause delight and that can open up our brains and our minds and our mouths and laughter. And they, they get us away from that single perspective that can, that can get us kind of stuck in some pretty deep roots of like, that we can't you know, really steer out of. So I think just letting comedy into your life, your way you speak, the way you think, the way you interact with others can start to be part of the change. I cannot thank you guys enough for bringing just some beautiful 
words and levity to such a heavy moment in human history. Um, and, you know, for doing the research and finding the proof that, that we need it, it's not just something that is, you know, one specific tool, but that as humans, we, we need the break from the heaviness. Um, mm -hmm. And thank you. Thank you for talking to me on Warming Signs. I really appreciate it. Our pleasure. Thank you for being a part of the Warming Signs family. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that when we return with episodes, you will be the first to know. And if you're looking for a little catch up in the meantime, there are over 40 episodes ready and waiting for you to binge. After a while, crocodile. Crocodile.